Welcome to On The Couch with James Field and Ian Harris. It's episode 48 for the 21st of June, 2007. Hi Ian, how's it going? It's going very well, James, and how are you? I'm most excellent, thanks Ian, and it's fantastic to be with here, virtually on the couch once more, with couch number 48. Fantastic. So we'll crack through some UK news, international content delivery, IPTV, mobile Mobile, gaming, and other stuff. Great. Which is a a packed programme of stuff at the moment, haven't we? We do indeed. So covering off on UK news, uh, we've had a smattering of advertising in the UK about the Freeview PVR. Yeah, I must admit, I've only seen the kind of reports about, look how many PVRs you can buy now, so it's more kind of passive advertising, I suppose, rather than this coordinated Freeview PVR. Is it, is it called Free Play? Uh, I think it's called Free Play. I yeah. can't comment on that particularly, <laughs> but uh, there was a Do you big, have one? Uh, Do you have a Freeview PVR? I don't have a Freeview anything, but uh, I, yeah, I have a Sky Plus box, but um, the, uh, the Metro... That was said in a very smug way there, Ian. Uh, well, I'm I'm sure the Freeview PVR is actually quite good. But, I mean, my problem with Freeview generally is that the the bandwidth they use to fit so many channels in is so small mm. that the picture quality is really, really ordinary. Yeah, yeah. I think it's okay on my BT Vision box with the upscaling to 720p. It's not too Yeah, but bad. you're not... Oh, well, you are getting Freeview. You're getting proper free, Freeview, aren't you? Yeah, on that, yeah. Mm, okay. Well, the one I saw was uh, the, the, the macro-blocking... It was just so bad that... Yeah, um, maybe because you're in sort of Urbanville, you have a bit more of an issue with your reception or something. True, because it does depend on the particular reception you get, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll maybe lend you a, a preview box or something. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a good idea. We, I've got a preview PVR. seems to work okay. Fantastic. Um, nice and energy saving. Takes a while to spin up the hard disk if you hit live, live pause. But <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's not a bad thing. It's, it's, not, it's thing. like live pause a couple of seconds after you need it. That's the, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's good. Um, so good luck to them. I think they're having a you know common remote and things like that as well across all mm. the different platforms. So Very good. Um, so UK news. Uh, other than that, not much else going on. Um, it's media, pretty quiet. Media land. Uh, perhaps a bit of a sniff that um, other things going on, but that's about it. International news. Um, cable card. This is a US phenomenon. Um, are you familiar with cable card in? Is it in I know a little bit about it. It's a bit like. Uh in the, in, I don't know if you remember, in the dim, dark, distant past, you actually used to rent your phone from the phone company. Indeed, you did, didn't you? And then that all got deregulated, or at least it certainly did in Australia. So you could, only, you could go out and buy any sort of wild and crazy phone you wanted and plug yeah. that in the way you went. You didn't still have to pay that to have anymore. still little stamp on it saying approved for connection, doesn't it? Correct. So they've tried to do something similar in the US for quite some time now, where uh, the the idea being that Cable is so prevalent in the US that it's it's very similar in, in some ways to uh, having a phone line. And so there's, they've been trying to push for a common box that could be plugged into uh, any cable I connection. Think that consumers should be able to buy, so when they move... Exactly, and they can move it to a retail model. Um, now, what I didn't understand is that uh, cable companies in the US have been paying... Uh, charging $5 or more a month on top of getting their television for the actual rental of the box. Right. And so naturally, consumer groups have been uh, pushing to be able to to buy the box and then be able to... Also, there's no choice. I mean, you don't have a choice of cable operators, which is in most parts of the world, you don't have a choice of cable operators either, I suppose. So True. they've got you over a barrel, haven't they? They do. You so this stuck. is, I think, about putting the the sort of conditional access module or something 
in uh, what's known as a cable card. They do this in Korea as well. Yep. So um, the, the cable card is, uh, well, it, it gives you the option of plugging in any security into the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a standardized middleware as in, um, I think it's OCAP or on-ramp, on-ramp to OCAP, mm-hmm. um, if it has a middleware at all. Uh, the idea being that uh, you get uh, your smart card from the cable company, plug it into your own box, and away you go. You don't have to pay rental anymore. Right. Uh, so it's finally... But presumably you have to rent the cable card. Uh, well, I think that's part of the service, I guess. <laughs> but, uh, okay. but I mean, from my, my experience here, the cable cards could cost you know, $20, $30 themselves. All right. So almost as much as a basic Zapper box. Right. So I'm not sure it sold. I think it was one of these things devised by Open Cable, one of these um, mm. kind of industry pressure groups, I suppose. Um, obviously heavily sponsored by incumbents like Cisco, Motorola, Scientific Atlanta, people like that, who have a vested interest because they've got most of the business in the US. So I'm not sure it's been such a long time coming and it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps the, the goals of the posts have moved now the time that you know, the standards matured, which happens with a number of standards, I suppose. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, I, it has been delayed mostly because the cable companies have been dragging their feet mm-hmm. allegedly, but I actually side with the cable companies here because I know what it's like on the, on the uh, broadcaster's side to try and actually get a small number of boxes to actually perform adequately given the particular situation uh, mm-hmm. in people's homes and so on. And they've actually made a massive investment in terms of set-top boxes and, and dishes and, well, well cable I think it's companies fair enough, as long as but having, probably their mistake has been charging that five bucks a month. for the Exactly, the they should have just dropped the five bucks a month and gone on with life, because yeah. the problem now is that any interactive applications they have to play out or uh, any, anything at all, they're going to have to test it on any number of weird well, and random boxes that have been things imported. like video on demand or yeah, exactly. PVR usage, I don't think they're covered in the sort of 1.0 version of the cable card. So um, it might even restrict their business model or people will realise actually the five bucks a month is worth paying because then I get a box that actually works. Yeah. Um, so in any case, in July this year, uh, they now have to roll out proper cable card boxes mm. by law. So. I've seen this in other countries. Like I know India wants to use, they said you, know, you must have a common interface module, which is kind of the DVB equivalent, right. but it doesn't have as much of the security interfaces on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said you, know, you must have this so boxes can be interoperable. And that's you know, what happens in India because customers buy the box. Right. Whereas I know in the UK, uh, I guess more because there's a lot more competition, nobody buys a box. You just get the box as a consequence of, Yes. Subscribing. I mean, that's yes. they've obviously introduced higher charges for access to the the um, uh, Sky Plus, I think, and the um, and the HD mm-hmm. boxes because they cost more. Yeah, but uh, I think that's more of just sort of recovering some costs. Uh, mm. Anyhow, interesting. So that's, that's Let's uh, watch the US, stuff. watch the space, and see if it changes the whole picture. But I, I doubt it will. Indeed, and you can still keep using your existing box and keep renting it anyway. So, mm. okay. So moving on to content delivery. Oh, I've got a bit of extra news here. Oh, yeah. I upgraded my Apple TV. Cool. Apple TV to version 1.1. And, um, and I can now get legit YouTube. Fantastic. So sure is it kind of like TV. best of YouTube? Is it like- yeah, it's the best of what's pop, popular, you know, what's new, all this kind of stuff. The quality, allegedly, you know, we heard they re-encoded it for 720p. Mm. Didn't seem to work for me. And actually, I found once <laughs> I upgraded the software... The, obviously, the, the previous settings weren't retained because mm. it was no longer outputting on HDMI. It was going back to RGB, so I then had to go back, plug in the RGB cables and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's certainly got a lot more youtube stuff, and the menu is quite easy to use. Mm-hmm. Um, watched a couple of uh, really exciting videos, as you can imagine. 
Um, nice. It's the only content I'm, I can actually access, obviously, being in the UK. Yes. Um, so really, it's, it's a YouTube set-up box. Well, pretty much. <laughs> you could say that. I mean, obviously, you can watch movie previews and things like that. But it's fairly responsive, I must admit. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of a download bar appears, but only for a second or two. So uh, That's all right. Not bad. Not bad. Anyway, sorry, I hijacked that, I guess. But we were going to talk about how Blockbuster puts its money on Blu-ray, doesn't it? Well, this is in the US. Apparently, they've, uh, they reckon that 70% of the time, people choosing a high-definition format are choosing Blu-ray. More so statistics. Gone, you know. Yeah, exactly. So they've gone, okay, well, let's just stock Blu-ray then and not stock HD DVD at all. Mm. Now, again, you're right, 70% of the time in, you know, in, in one store, in all stores, you know, in terms yeah. of a particular title. Well, I must admit, I'm biased because I've got a PS3. I haven't got an HD DVD playback, so I just uh-huh. rent Blu-rays. How have you found the, the actual picture quality? Pretty good. But then, I'm, you know, I don't have golden eyes, so I can't. <laughs> I, mean, I think my HDMI output preview box is pretty good, too. <laughs> um, I'm more interested in the content, not the presentation, I suppose. Yes. Um, but then I haven't watched that many Blu-ray movies, I guess. So um, do you reckon... I think it's what the tipping point is going to be when most of the content is HD. And the, other, the odd bit yeah. is SD, and you go, oh, that looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, you're right. 70% of, you know, a small number is, you know, it's, it's almost neither here nor there, really, is it? Mm. So is this the end for HD DVD, do you reckon? Well, you also hear that Blockbuster's on the way out as well. Ah, so, okay. At <laughs> <laughs> the end of the, the corner video store, I mean I, I mean, I get my DVDs and stuff delivered and Blu-rays delivered. I don't go to a store, mm. the virtual stores. Um, so I think that's uh, like Netflix in the US do the same thing. Sure, Blockbuster does it too. Um, other things for content delivery, BitTorrent has released an SDK. Right. So what does that mean? Well, they've already sort of, obviously BitTorrent is well known for being the, the pirate tool of choice for distributing mm-hmm. uh, content. So um, that's kind of something which uh, has been frowned upon by the content industry. But they've done a few deals um, right. to, to start up um, uh, kind of ventures for redistributing video. And we've heard about, we've talked before about Juiced and Babelgum using some kind of peer-to-peer stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw the other day that uh, Views, V-U-Z-E, uh, which is based on BitTorrent, has launched for content distribution. Right. Um, we've also seen a number of routers and network-attached storage boxes with built-in BitTorrent clients, but those kind of been, I think, reverse-engineered stuff. Right. Um, so BitTorrent, in a uh, way of going legit, is looking to launch an SDK and I guess license it and have a made-for-BitTorrent sticker and look to get some revenue <laughs> back. Um, because, I mean, that's the issue with this this kind of technology is if pirates are using it, you're not getting any money. So, yes, that's um, true. So I guess it's by licensing the technology and supporting it um, that would work. And even though perhaps the standard has already leaked out, there's obviously a role in the industry for like, the red hats of this world um, BitTorrent to, to support and maintain a legit embedded uh, version of, of BitTorrent. Mm, okay, cool. So I think that, uh, that should be good. Um, Very neat. As long as they, they keep evolving the product, I suppose. Definitely. As the embedded version. Now, a little story from Australia. There's a few seem to have sneaked in here, Ian. Um, I think you put this one in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, real time. We talked about you know re- real time delisting in Australia. This is an IPTV company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to launch a new set-top box. Apparently, they've got new funding um, for a massive $4 million Australian drawdown facility. That's about uh, £10, isn't it? 
Ten pounds. <laughs> no. Well, it's about a million pounds. Uh, really? Okay, so it's not massive. Million and a half. Million and a half. Any advance on that? You're not a currency dealer, clearly. Um, so, and they, they're still delisted, but they're looking to sort of relist imminently, apparently, mm-hmm. the Australian exchange. Uh, they're launching a new box, uh, which will act, uh, presumably some kind of t- uh, set-top box will be involved. It's a DVD recorder, twin digital terrestrial tuners. So it sounds Ooh, a bit right. like the BT Vision kind of service. It does sound very much similar to that, doesn't it? Um, with a, what we call a hybrid service with digital terrestrial and IPTV. And it already has an EPG, allegedly. Okay. Um, and they're obviously, we talked about TiVo launching in Australia. They're claiming that they're better than TiVo, and their supplier is um, uh, in a bit of trouble. But uh, there we go. I mean, good on for real-time TV. To, it sounds to, like the actual PVR market in Australia has suddenly gone from nothing to uh, having the TiVo, the uh, Foxtel IQ PVR, mm. and the real-time. Well, very early adopters there, as you know. I mean, mm. you're, yeah, you're, they're uh, pretty keen on picking technology up yeah. in Australia, that's for sure. I mean, your last visit there, did you get any buzz about the IQ, I mean, do people, because I know my brother in the UK recently got a um, Sky Plus and he was saying, wow, it's brilliant, it's amazing. Not me kind of prompting him or anything. He was just saying, hey, you know, <laughs> it's really good. And he's had VOD and catch-up TV from the Tiscali Home Choice service for a while. Uh-huh. So he's just, you know, picked it up. I think there was a lot of latent demand in Australia and a lot of people just went, well, yeah, of course we should have that. Why haven't we had this before? Mm, now, an intriguing story here. Mm-hmm. Again, slightly Antipodean. <laughs> Slightly, yes. Project Kangaroo. Now, what is that about? Now, I don't know why they chose this name, but presumably the the idea that they're jumping over to something else, or I don't know. Okay. But uh, it, it, the BBC have this iPlayer thing yeah. they've been talking about. Channel 4 have their 4OD service. I'm sure yeah. ITV have something else as they're well. They're all based on Microsoft something or other, aren't they? Yeah. So they've all got together and had a chat and gone, look, guys, it's really silly of us to all do their own, our own silly things here. Let's do one big thing mm-hmm. and conquer the world. And their plan is to do for broadband what Freeview did for digital TV. And the idea is that they pull all the content that they have available from BBC, ITV, Channel 4, mm-hmm. and uh, put it so together to make in a, a download a, package. A platform, effectively, yeah. which will be a, a portal or... Yeah, one-stop shop for media playing for downloading your favourite TV shows. Mm-hmm. Now, this is imminently sensible because if you... I mean, it's it's like the case that, um, you know, the well-known uh, example of if you have one ice cream store, then people will buy ice creams there. But if you have two ice cream stores, then heaps of people will buy even more ice creams because if you have... It's like shopping streets in Asia where everything's the same in one street. They have, like, but the, everyone goes the toilet there. street right. or the plumbing street or something. Yep. Yeah. So if you have... Um, if you have all this content all in one place and everyone's going to go there even more mm. so um, because they go, ah, well, maybe I'll pick some BBC content this time or some Channel 4 content. Uh, so you end up having um, a larger variety, having the whole thing much more. Uh, so it's know, a bit like juiced in that respect, perhaps, by mm. having a single portal to get the stuff. And I understand it's only on demand. Yes, this is only on live. demand and, da- and for download. Mm. Uh, download stuff so that's fantastic I think that's going to be a great service I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing and the guys that. I guess already will all work together in Freeview anyway so yeah so it's not like they're really in competition here mm. and they're all you know putting their own content up uh, so it really is just you know collaborating on, a, on an online platform which let's face it is expensive to set up and maintain and all that sort of stuff mm. uh, so they can cut some costs as well I think the well difference here though service. presumably it's to a PC whereas the BT Vision service is actually to a TV which, in my mind, makes a big difference. True. So. Uh, but, you know, you can imagine that once they've collaborated on this, the next step is to have a common sort of set-top box mm-hmm. that can, can pull the content down. 
Much mm. like Apple TV, except pulling down content from these three broadcasters. Yes, exactly. Well, I don't see any reason why Apple TV couldn't work, obviously, with any VOD kind of vendor. But I guess they're going to bind you into the Apple Store. Yes, that's true. To, to collect the payments and things, which maybe is no bad thing if you're not used to collecting micropayments. You can at least get, get some way of doing it. So I think that's very cool. Mm, I think it sounds interesting. We'll have to watch I mean, that one. I, I really like things where it just comes across as sensible to make this sort of decision. And cooperation in this sort of example actually really drives the industry forward as opposed to just everyone doing their own little thing. Yeah, fragmentation doesn't lead to, to growth of new segments. Correct, absolutely right. So not good at all. Um, mobile news, which is normally the area where we're a bit slim on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. but there's been a, quite a bit in the trade press I've been reading about you know, maybe mobile isn't the big thing everyone was saying it was going to be. Um, yeah, but it depends which press release you read because half of them yeah. say it's going to be the biggest industry in the world in 10 years' time. And Yeah, and the imminent launch of the iPhone, they're saying that's going to really shake things up, change the game. Mm-hmm. Suddenly your web IPTV is going to be available on mobile. Um, no, the, more, the more I read, the more I think these days that within the next couple of years, it'll be just one of those things on a phone Yeah, where whether you like it or not, in the same way that camera phones... And now everywhere, whether mm. you want a camera on it or not, I think um, you'll be able to watch television on your phone in the next couple of years, whether you want to, want to, you know, whether yeah. you want it or not. So, and I think one of the things that I think we we talked about as well is that what's held mobile back is the the mobile operators are still fixed on per bit charging as opposed yeah. to flat rate, and even the flat rates they've got have got sort of glass <laughs> ceilings in them. Cap, yeah. yeah, so it really doesn't help to launch the services. I guess it's a it's the typical dilemma when people go through a change in technology is not wanting to kill off the existing business exactly, and yet opening the door to the new business. And there's, it's a very tricky side of things. And don't forget, you know, they've invested billions in making their networks broadband True. effectively, but True. they're just really not seeing any benefit from that yet. I think, um, I mean, the mobile companies have been, you know, one of the most popular sectors for, you know, a number of years now. So, I think they're, you know, they're trying to milk the cash cow, but uh, that's going to come to the, you know, the number well, of mobile the phones in the world has got to decline. Yeah, voice minutes are costing less, aren't they? So, I mean, mm-hmm. they have to open up a new revenue stream in order exactly. to, to... It's a bit like the telcos a few years ago when broadband came along and VoIP's the threat. I think uh, the, the mobile phone operators will have to go a similar sort of way. Uh, and I expect Indeed. that the mobile phones will end up being VoIP as well and have content on them and it'll be, again, the mobile operators will be a, a mobile yeah. pipe as opposed to a broadband pipe at home. Well, let's let's uh, see if your prediction comes true. Indeed. Mm. So on speaking about new, mo- <laughs> new mobile phones, we've got yeah. Sony Ericsson bringing out some funky stuff. Yeah, um, I, I heard about this. I didn't see about the phones. What's, what's no good about these new phones? Apparently you uh, pick it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, shake the phone and it shuffles the songs onto another song. Okay. Someone else had an MP3 player that did that, didn't they? They had a, like a shaky shuffle thing. Mm. I, remember it was I think it's cool when you're, or you're like actually that. using uh, you know, movement of, yeah. the phone, of the device itself in order to, to communicate with it, I guess. The old haptic interfaces back again. Indeed. It's, it's, I'm on up with the minions. Yeah. And it was interesting. I saw a talk. At, uh, I went to a usability conference last week and, and saw uh-huh. a talk about and one of the guys from Sony Ericsson was talking about how they went about designing one of their most popular phones, which I think was the uh, W800 from memory. Oh, yeah, the one that looks like an iPod Nano, I think. Yeah, and it's got, um, it had a camera on the back, and, you know, mm. it was... Super slim. Very cool. But um, they actually put a lot of energy into making their user interfaces 
you know, they do a lot of usability testing and try and make sure that it actually works. Works. Yeah. <laughs> or you can use it rather than it works, which I guess is the yeah the different style, isn't it? Yeah. And so yeah. having seen that, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind actually having a play with one. Yeah. And now that I've seen that, I've got a Samsung phone, and I—I I, mm. I mean, it looks great. But, but you've stuck with Samsung, haven't you? And I think people tend to stick with Nokia or whatever because they get the interfaces generally aren't very good, but you get used to it. And therefore, <laughs> learning a new one, which is not intuitive, True. is difficult to use, is a real barrier. And you think, oh, I just can't work it out. I, I know where I am. It was hard enough to learn this one. Yeah, that's and true. And maybe that's again—it's in their interest to make it difficult to learn because once you're in, you're in. Mm. Uh, I remember point. having Motorola phones in the old days, and oh, their menu was abysmal. It was nice terrible, looking yeah. phones. I mean, hardware was great. Yeah, exactly. But the the interface was absolutely tragic. Yeah, but then and that just means you end up using it just as a phone, because that's about all you can work out how to use. That's exactly um, right. Um, tricky. So um, these phones look quite cool, bigger cameras, all this kind of stuff. But I think everyone's waiting for the you know, is the iPhone going to change the game? Yeah, and I think so. I think we'll see a lot of. Well, when's it coming out? It's like a couple of weeks, isn't it? Yep, 6 p.m., 29th of June. Ooh, any day now. So just more than a week. Um, but we've also got a bit of eco phones you've come up here, which is um, a solar-powered phone. And I also saw Orange in the UK in time for there's this Glastonbury Music Festival, which is a traditional mud fest. <laughs> yep. Um, they had a, a, a wind-powered phone, which basically... A wind-powered phone? Well, it was a little sort of um, windmill that you clip on top of your tent. Oh, right, uh, I see. And, and it charges little, your phone. Well, it has a NICAD battery sync, uh, right. sort of... Um, That's cool. And then the NICAD charges up, and then you can come back after you've been festivaling and, and uh, <laughs> hook up your phone. And I guess it's similar. But this is actually on the cover of a phone, this solar phone, right? Uh, yeah, so one of the sides, one of the panels is, is actually a solar cell. So yeah, S116. You just leave it lying world. around and... Yeah. It charges up, which I think is fantastic. So it, it, effectively, it extends the battery life um, by using solar power, which I think is a good thing to do. So an hour of sunlight gives 40 extra minutes of talk time. I guess the phone gets pretty warm, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but it's a Chinese manufacturer, high-tech wealth, the S116. Um, Fantastic ideas. It will be even powered by candlelight. The battery life is two and a half times longer than it would be without the panels. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine you, you come home, you stick your phone on the table. If you just put it on the window still instead, mm. you, you, you're effectively charging it. Yeah, Fantastic. The downside is it's more expensive than an iPhone. But <laughs> is it really? <laughs> 510 bucks. But uh, there we go. I guess there's no contract required. <laughs> That's right. But it's a, I think it's a, you know, one day it will be obvious. Um, it's yeah, like you exactly. know, desktop calculators. Well, they're all solar powered, aren't they? That's true. You can't find a battery-powered calculator. Yeah. yeah, anyway. Okay, so moving on to... Gaming news. Yes, we have a little bit of that from, uh, again, um, this is um, Rockstar, those guys who uh, are behind... Um, and they do the... Uh, that good game. Which, that one with the car where you run around and... That's the one, and they're going to come out with a new one, apparently, the um, Vice City series. Um, so they've got one called Manhunt, which was, again, quite successful. They came up with Manhunt 2, but unfortunately they've... <laughs> Include in this, included in the storyline some real pictures of um, some uh, schoolboy that was uh, abducted and murdered, and that uh, I think this is going beyond the uh, beyond it. To be honest, um, that's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, I mean, a big mess up here by uh, by Rockstar. So I don't quite know what's going to happen with that. I guess they might have to just remove that bit from the mm-hmm. game. But I mean, that's not good news. I don't see how anyone can think that's good. Um, no, it's just not even. So it's been refused a classification, effectively. So I thought it was refused a classification because of 
unrelenting focus on stalking and brutal slaying. But so there's actually images in there as well of that's not good at all. No, and and I think they they blamed. It's you know typically do video games inspire people to do things or or kind of vice versa. Mm. Um, but I, I, you know it's blurring the line I think between. Um, Real and unreal. So I think that's a bit of a sad story, really. Um, yeah. But I mean, it does show that you know the uh, British censors, the British Board of Film Classification. So the, it's the same as film classification are doing right. video games, and clearly the kind of action you get in video games today, you just wouldn't be allowed to put it in a movie. So I think that's a no. fair, fair dues, really. No, good on them. Mm. Good on them. We mm. just don't need any of that. That's, I mean, there's so many great games that don't involve yeah <laughs> unrelenting focus on stalking and brutal slaying. Uh, and you can have so much fun without Roco Loco, for instance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Wii Tennis, you know, it's all yes. good. <laughs> no slaying in that one. Indeed, no slaying at all. But you can hit the ball really hard. <laughs> That's right. So, um, gaming kind of stuff. Um, there was also some wacky new technology which we, we saw, which um, promised to fulfill that wireless solution. I certainly look behind my kind of music e-center and it's just, it's a, what I would refer to as the snake's honeymoon of wires. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's incredibly complicated. Mm. Um, and wireless seems to be a great promise, but the problem with wireless is that they might say, oh, you know, you can get a gigabit per second, but in reality, that's what they call, mm. I think, the, uh, the fire rate. It's like what actually goes through, but what's mm. the usable bandwidth? After all, the error protection and, what happens if your neighbor has one? Oh, and suddenly it drops to yeah. less than half a gigabit. Um, but now Toshiba's come out with a very high 60 gig receiver technology on a like pinhead, seemingly 1.1 by 2.4 millimeters. Mm-hmm. It's, got a, it's got the antenna, it's got the amplifier, the mixer, everything in the synthesizer on this pinhead chip. And they reckon it's, uh, I think it's like ultra wide band. So it's between um, seven gigahertz of stuff going over about 60 gigahertz bandwidth, and um, it can only send it a few meters. I think one of the trouble with this very high bandwidth is that it's absorbed by oxygen, um, so it really can't go very, very right. far. Um, typically, the higher bands, I think, we use for military communication because no one could overhear you because the signal just wouldn't go very far, so it'd be good for little no, you know, groups which are but stalking I mean, is, and slaying. <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> but this is ideal for, like, all you need is a couple of meters between your... You know, Blu-ray player in your... Well, it says a few metres. Don't forget the signal's going to degrade the further you go away. If it's in your little stack of boxes, yeah, that's going to mm. work. Um, and with the Tesla's wireless power, you know, you just like put your box there, bingo. Done. Done. Bish, bash, bosh. UPN power. I can see that all happening. Fantastic. There's also a... Um, there was a show in Chicago last week, the NXT conference, mm-hmm. uh, which is all sorts of noise about plug fests and IMS. This, uh, you heard of IMS? No, what's IMS? It's the um, IP Multimedia Services, I believe. Okay. Uh, someone could probably tell me we're wrong. They can always tell us we're wrong, look for those mistakes, and where do they send those things to, Ian? And you can send it to feedback at onthecouchpodcast.com. Um, so I, uh, that's um, really look about how this is a, like devices that can plug together and work out what services they can provide, make sure the bandwidth is there, and mm-hmm. route packets accordingly, whether that's voice, uh, mobile, video, SMS, everything going over the same network. That's right. the idea. Neat. Um, so lots of things going there. Um, lots of people in China saying everything's going for IPTV. Um, <laughs> lots of vendors there. Very exciting. I wish I could have been there myself. Indeed. I hear but Chicago I is a lovely city. Yes. I haven't been to Chicago, actually. Yeah, never um, mind. To put that on the list some stage. The wind, is it Chicago, the windy city? Or am I, uh, apparently so. Apparently so. There we go. 
lots of beans. Um, you had a little story about the Slingbox Pro. Uh, no, actually, I thought well, actually, this I, was I, I, I thought, yeah, I thought this was a bit interesting, actually. Um, this was some, you know, like hackers, generally what they do is they try and sort of listen to signals to see what they can, see what they, if they can determine what things are. Uh-huh. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about the Slingbox doing some encryption. Mm-hmm. Now, the Slingbox does encryption, and they said it for privacy reasons so that people couldn't just listen in on your stream yes. and watch the same service you're watching back home. Right. Um, now, this is where some guys, I think it's quite clever, where, you know, when um, movies are played off a, a, a disc, they're typically encoded into MPEG 2 or MPEG 4, mm-hmm. and the better systems use variable bitrate encoding where they dedicate more bits where there's a more complex picture. Right. Now, this would mean that for a given piece of video, there is effectively a, a signature of this kind of amount oh, of bits applied over time. I see, yeah. So what these guys were doing was saying, given a, a movie database where you could essentially fingerprint a movie as to, oh, I guess, right. fairly generically, more bits required because it's more fast-moving mm. scene changes and mm. stuff, then you can basically match that <laughs> signature to work out what the content is. And they worked out, they only had a limited number of movies. They did 26 movies, I think. Um, but for half the movies, they could identify the correct movie uh, 98% of the time. And that was in wow. about 10 minutes or something. That's very cool. So in a way, you could do, it's almost like um, monitoring what people are watching mm. by, the, by the bit rate as opposed to the metadata. <laughs> That's so actually very clever. It's like derived metadata. Yes. I think it's quite interesting for um, you know, potentially if you know what a movie is, you could just mm. you, know, you could work out what people are listening to and match that to the title pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so I'm sure there's some scope for doing that. Uh, so clever guys at the um, University of Washington. Indeed. Um, That's very interesting. Is it University of Washington? Uh, Yeah, it's basically you can, it doesn't protect the user's viewing habits was their uh, their premise here. That's interesting because that reminds me of uh, a lot of the hacks to do with uh, smart cards in the early days were all about uh, if you could identify things by the length of the packet that was being uh, communicated with the smart card. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you could identify, you could tell what was going on. This is your dim and di- distant dark past coming out now, is it? That's right. <laughs> cool, that's that's very interesting. So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of cool technology which could have some application. Mm. Or someone will think of something. Um, so, we've coming up, this is uh, 48, we've got 49, 50s coming up. Indeed. Let's keep those suggestions coming in. We've, uh, we've had a few, keep them coming. Indeed, and uh, I've set up a... A link now on uh, Delicious. If you use Delicious and you see an article that you'd like to tag for us, you can just tag it to On The Couch. And we'll pick that up and make it part of the next week's stories. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, I guess that brings us to a close. Indeed. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Do send us your feedback. Feedback at onthecouchpodcast.com. And write reviews on iTunes and let us know. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Bye from James. Bye from Ian. Bye.